Unity Community of Central Oregon's podcast. 42 years ago, uh, I was in the hospital. I was in the hospital struck from having been healthy, happy, and whole my whole life up until that point with a blood disease uh, called iliothromboplebitis. I had blood clots in my ankle all the way up to my hip. The prognosis was that I would never walk again, at least not normally, uh, and that I should adjust to a different kind of lifestyle. At that same time, I met a New Thought minister whose name happened, last name happened to be Hart. So Hart came to see Moses in the hospital. <laughs> and he said, after I sort of told him my philosophy of life and was shocked by my experience, he said, well, there's two things I'd like you to know, Harry. First of all, I'm awfully glad to have met you. And the second one is everything's going to work out OK. Everything's going to work out just fine. And he, had, uh, he was about six feet six. He had bald head, little hair on the sides, and he wore spectacles. He really, truly looked like Gandhi on steroids. <laughs> and he said that to me, and then he walked out of the room. And as he walked out of the room through a little window in the hospital door, I could see his bald head receding down the hall. And I turned out to the other side where the hospital window was, and there was a big billboard outside of my hospital window that said, tough. All in black letters across the billboard, tough. And in little red letters, it said Chevette. Now, those of you who know GM, Chevette is long gone, but tough still sticks around. And I looked at that billboard, and I just started to laugh. It would be something that I now would be able to tell you was, was what has been called in ancient traditions a cosmic laugh. I just began to look at the irony of where I was, and something tickled my soul, and I just started laughing. And I started laughing so, so much so they had uh, all kinds of stuff sticking in my arms and meters on. And, I was laughing so hard, the meters all started to create alarms, and things started to go off, and nurses were coming in. And, and uh, within 24 hours from that moment, the swelling in my leg went down, and I was released from the hospital. That was in September, and I was skiing in January. So whatever it was that Dr. Hart knew, I wanted to know that. And uh, now Dr. Hart has not been with us for some time, and Dr. Moses is here. <laughs> And that's how, that's how I got to where I am today. So in that journey, I've learned a lot of things. And one of the things I learned along the way was, of course, what we all, all of us in this room have beginning to learn, that we're born in the image and likeness of the one. That in the opening book of Genesis, is and God made man upright in his image, he, she. It actually says... In this day, in the Old Testament, it says, he, she, in the image and likeness. So this masculine language that we've had doesn't belong to men, it doesn't belong to women, it belongs to the image of the one, which is seed, soil, and plant, yes? Everything happens, spirit, soul, and body. Everything is in the image of the one. And very often we hear, like in, like in this very room, we've already heard, love is the impulsion of the universe, Yes? Love is, in other words, God looked out in, in all creation and, and looked at it all and said, wow, this is cool. This is really cool. And then God had a big problem at that moment because God looked at his creation and he said, this is cool, and there was nobody there. Yes? 
Now, think of the moment when you saw a spectacular sunrise or a sunset or maybe a baby be born or some incredible, or a puppy just got here, some incredible miracle in life when you were there. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? You want to look over in somebody's eyes and share it, yes? Right? That's the nature of life is we want to share. So this self-evolving consciousness that emerged to the place where we could say, I am, and then we started asking the big questions. Well, what am I? Oh. Well, we begin to learn something when we look at that very deep question. It's been going on for a long time. What am I? Who am I? Right? And the, the answer becomes that question is, well, I can't be this body. Because when I started in ministry, I was ordained when I was... I was licensed when I was 29, ordained when I was 32. So I started my ministerial career the same year that Jesus ended his. Right? And at that time, they considered me a young, a really young man in, in the ministry. Well, you know they don't consider me that anymore. <laughs> that something has changed, yes? This something has been going on in this body, and this body continues to change form. Have you not noticed that? Yeah? It changes form. Just as my grandchildren that were just born five years ago, the littlest ones, are now five, is five and six and three, and then my daughter married a widow, and now I've got grandkids that are teens, and they're all, they all change. They've all changed within this, even the five years that they've been together. Everybody keeps changing. So this I am that I am can't actually be the body, yes? Because it, it, it doesn't even stay fixed, not even for a day, have you noticed? Right? It doesn't even stay in the same place for a day. Right? So I'm not a body. Well, then, what am I? I must be, uh, I must be my mind. Okay, well, that's really interesting, but when we look at the science of things, and particularly neuroscience, what we discover is that your brain, while it has its function, it literally seems to be everywhere in your body. That it's happening everywhere. So go this, this in other words, the intelligence that's in a cell is in the same intelligence that's in your brain. It's, a, it's the same operating intelligence everywhere in your whole system. Well, so I couldn't really be a mind because I can't even find out where my mind is. And then the wonderful thing, if you ever saw the movie Frankenstein, right, is, is that you take the brain out of the body and it doesn't work. The brain doesn't function without a heart. So, well, well then where, who am I? Well, I'm not my body and I'm not my brain and I'm not my mind. Well, then what must I be? Well, what, what is? Well, this thing we discover that is, is spirit. So am I spirit? Oh, absolutely, yes, you're spirit. But you're also mind and you're also body, yes? Now, Ernest Holmes, the great philosopher from the last century, he said, well, if the spirit finds it good to find a body here, it's likely that the spirit will find a body hereafter for whatever that appropriate expression is, yes? So whatever it is I am, it will form, it will be born, it will be unborn, and it will be born again, over and over and over and over and over again. Because what I am is what it is, and it is what I am, yes? So then this, this becomes really interesting. Well, if it is what I am, and I am what it is, then it is true, I am an immortal spiritual being. So if you're willing, touch your heart center and say, I am. I say, I am an immortal spiritual being. Superior to my mind, superior to, my mind to, my body, to my body, and to my experience. And to my experience. Right, now, isn't that interesting? 
that what you just said is absolutely true. I am an immortal spiritual being. It doesn't say I don't have a mind, I don't have a body, but it says what I am is greater than that. Yes? What I am is greater than that. So this impulsion then of the universe, God looked out at his creation and said, this is cool. Now, the new word would be sick. <laughs> Those of us in the Woodstock generation would say, this is cool. The young people would say, well, this is really sick. You choose, whatever language you like. But anyway, the point is that I look out and the first thing I want to do is share it. So when, when we hear that God brought forth its only begotten, right? The only begotten is this I am that I am. Now it so happens it's the I am that you are and the I am that you are. And you have, we have different body suits and different plumbing and different gender, but the I am that I am is the same in each of us, right? Now, I've traveled a lot of the world, including Hong Kong back in the day, and back in the day when I went to Hong Kong, I didn't speak any Chinese at all. I still don't speak any Chinese at all. But I was greeted as if I spoke Chinese. Everybody greeted me the same way. Whenever I travel to Europe, whether I speak the language in that country or not, I'm greeted the same way. When I traveled to India, I was greeted the same way. And how is it that people can see through the mist and see that what I am is what they are and, and react as though we are the same. It has to be, as the good Reverend Jane already said, it has to do with the vibration that I'm putting out, yes? So the more that I can get my vibration to be more like spirit itself, the more that vibration will go in front of me and make the way clear, yes? So this is what I happened to me. So 10 years after that experience, that condition showed up again in the other side of my body. But before that, I had already become a metaphysician. I'd already changed my life around. I'd already been skiing every year, going again this, this winter, this Christmas, with all of my kids and grandkids skiing again, looking forward to that. And, but before that all happened, this change came back, and I wondered, well, what, what, what did I do to create this? You ever had that one? That's sort of our, our big, the big guilt trip in New Thought. Well, what did I do to create this? Right? Well, what I say is everything that happens is you're related to it. If it's happening to you, you're related to it, yes? And so I began to inquire, what, why is this happening to me? What is going on? What's happening here? And I had had a massage therapist because I had my, the godfather of my daughter uh, had made a friend of a, an Episcopal priest. And he told me this Episcopal priest was also a massage therapist. So I said, well, I would like to get a massage from the Episcopal priest. And uh, so I, knew, I met Father John, and Father John began to work with me and my wife as a professional. I paid him just as a masseur. And he mentioned to me one of his teachers. One of his teachers was a lady by the name of Edith Stauffer. And Edith Stauffer was uh, teaching a kind of psychology called psychosynthesis. If anybody you know anything about psychosynthesis, it's pretty much the new thought of psychology. Much like Jungian psychology believes there is a soul, psychosynthesis believes there is a soul, and that soul can guide you, can guide you forward. That's the I am, the I am through which my life happens. And if I can tune into that I am, if I can wake up to that I am and allow it to guide, guard, direct, and protect me, for example, I call that I am. The, my mantra that I use in meditation, which we used already this morning, is I am. I was initiated in TM in 1972, and I changed the mantra when I became a teacher because I wanted to tell people how it is that I practice meditation. And I couldn't share that mantra because it's, it's a violation of that tradition. Uh, 
So I said, well, I, I understand what this I am it is my soul nature, and I just changed my mantra to I am, yeah? So I've been working with this idea of allowing my soul nature to guide me forward, knowing that is the avenue that is directly connected to God. So Edith Stauffer was this teacher of something called unconditional love and forgiveness. Not just forgiveness, unconditional love and forgiveness. Okay, so let's look at that. Unconditional love is love given freely, without demands, without expectations, and without seeking anything in return. Let me say that again. Unconditional love is love given freely, without demands, without expectations, and without seeking anything in return. Yes? I went through security yesterday at the airport. I took my computer out of the pack as usual, and the two gentlemen, TSA agents behind the thing, were having a little kerfuffle among themselves. It distracted me. I left my computer. So I forgive myself for my mistakes, and I move forward. But I was also a loving presence in the middle of that kerfuffle. Right? And what I know is that that presence helped that kerfuffle right at that moment. I was the right guy at that moment to walk through that line at that time. Because I looked up at the both of them, and I shared with, I think you're both doing a wonderful job, and you're both quite capable of doing this together, I'm sure of it. They ended the argument right there, and, and I went through, and then, of course, I lost my mind, huffing and puffing about my spiritual greatness. <laughs> so immediately brought down to my knees. Oh, my computer! Oh, my God! <laughs> Love given freely without demands and without expectations, without seeking anything in return. So that if that's what love is, then that's what God's love is. And if we're going to be in the image and likeness of God, that's what our love is, yes? It must begin to mimic that unconditional love. I don't love you because you do what I said. I love you because you are you. And God has already ordained you as you. Every color, every shape, every way of being, every tradition, every religious background, every point of view. <gasps> really? Yeah, really. And to learn how to know. So the way God would have it, look what arrived through the Course in Miracles in my mailbox today. Judgment and love are opposites. From one comes all the sorrows of the world, but the other comes from God and love and peace itself. Wow. So how is it that we can get beyond our judgments, which means we're withholding love? And here's, if you don't come to the workshop this evening... I forgive you. <laughs> but let me give you, tell you something that's really true. To the degree, so if you imagine if I'm standing on a hose, I'm standing on a hose, and this hose now goes up about 12 inches above my head, and it's spraying down on me. But I'm standing on the hose, right? Every person who does not have free passage through your consciousness Imagine, just like you read, we, in this country, we read from left to right, yeah? So take anybody who you know you got stuff with. Allow them to walk, close your eyes for just a second, allow them to walk from left to right across your from your viewpoint with your eyes closed. Do they have safe passage? And to the degree that they do not have safe passage, you are standing on your own hose. Ooh, somebody got it. <laughs> right? And that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is to cancel the demands and expectations 
that are blocking my attitude of love. So I always tell people, you know, the, the last thing you should do is tell somebody you forgave them. Because telling somebody you forgave them is an act of hostility. Forgiveness is something we must do for ourselves, yes? So here's, here's what I've learned. My wife and I have been married 37 years. She said, thank God we, let, we learned about forgiveness. <laughs> right? but, but it's not just forgiveness, it's the opposite of that. What comes from that is this capacity to be able to love from a place of high spiritual love, from the, from the way that spirit loves, from a way that is both personal and impersonal. It's uniquely given through me, but it's impersonal because it belongs. There's infinite supply of it. I don't, I don't have to worry about how much there is. Yes? So if I can open myself up to be an instrument through which this unconditional love is flowing, now, now let's take some other spiritual principles and put them in. So meditation is for the purpose of in-breathing spirit. To just in-breathe it past what our brain can conceive, but to breathe it in at a deeper level. Those of you who do not practice meditation, I have a CD there. You put it in the CD player, and you listen to it. You do not drive when you listen to it. <laughs> and you, you will find that you are getting that gap between your thoughts. And that's a great way to begin the practice of learning that your, your, your being is thirsting for that opportunity to breathe in at a deeper level. So this whole uh, Yogananda the author of the autobiography, Yogi, said, never tell yourself you can't meditate. Everybody can meditate. We just have to practice. And just like every other habit, once we get used to it, then, we, then it becomes easier and easier and easier. Yes? So the idea of, to me of not meditating on a single day is, it just doesn't happen anymore. But we have to work through that to get our system into place. Now, affirmative prayer, then, is for the purpose of directing that spirit for definite and specific purposes. And what we know is, if we're love beings, the purpose almost, always must be an act of love. So if you want a nice new car, then you have to make sure that, that it's going to be part of an act of love of your life. If you want a new house, a new relationship, a new thing, it all has anything that is in the name of love and in the energy of love you can have, and you can create it. You can co-create with God that thing in your experience. Wow. So I read the newspaper every day. As our friend Michael Beckwith, the founder of Agape International Center, says, the newspaper every day is just a prayer request. <laughs> right. This is what the world is thirsting for. This is what the world is longing for. And this is what I know about you and me in this room, is that we, are, we have stumbled into something. By grace, sometimes we get there the hard way. I did not get here the easy way. Sometimes we get here the hard way, some ways we get here the easy way. But somehow through grace we got to this place where our consciousness is beginning to realize I am one with that one. And now, how can I live that way? How can I love that way? How can I experience my entire life that way? And the answer is the same way you get to Carnegie Hall. You practice, you practice, and you practice, yes? And so we have come into something truly remarkable. And so whenever I have a chance to gather with the grunts of souls who have come to believe God is and I am and I am what God is, 
said, boy, we have, we have captured the key that will free humanity from itself and open us up to a new pathway. The poet Holmes said that will enable us to see through the mist into the eternal and changeless reality. I am very, very interested in that way of being, in that way of loving. We trip, we fall, we get up, and we try again. I have no way claiming that I don't, no longer trip and fall. Jill has my computer somewhere in Los Angeles. <laughs> but I will get up again, and I will stand for love again, and I will cancel my demands and expectations again, and I will return to love again. Because in this way, I'm discovering the I am that I am. I'm beginning to know the self of myself that is beyond time, that can leave a gift in the time that I'm in, a gift of the time of my love, a gift of the time of my presence, a gift of the time of my having meaning in people's lives. And I will also know who I am, so I will not be afraid of the veil on the other side, yes? And so today, at 5.30 this evening, we're going to be here, and we're going to bring some of you all the way through. You get to experience it. When you experience that gift of forgiveness, that gift of release, you begin to see things in a different way. And you begin to take the burden of responsibility for all of the anger and upset in the world, you, you begin to let that go and place, where, what, place responsibility where you can do something about it. Where the who I am can be a loving presence in the most ordinary and the most spectacular ways of life. So in 20 minutes, I can't tell you everything that I've known or everything that I've learned in 40-some-odd years of practice. And I'm not a young man anymore, although I can ski like I'm really cool. <laughs> and wherever we could draw that out, you know, wherever we could draw the best of ourselves out, that's what we want to be doing. So I'm here teaching tonight. I'm here teaching tomorrow. I have this great fortune of being here with you in your beautiful service and everything you're creating here. And I hope that in, in these ideas, unconditional love is given without demands and without expectations and without seeking anything in return. Forgiveness is to cancel anything that blocks that love. Meditation is to breathe in spirit. An affirmative prayer is to use it to create the life of my desires. Boy, have we come into the wellspring. Have we come into a treasure chest of possibilities. But it's kind of like, you know, a, a, a four-year-old opening up a, a bucket of presents, you know. They want to get fascinated with the ones on top, and yet there's still more. There's treasure upon treasure upon treasure in what you have already learned on your journey. And I know that because you're in this very room right now. We have an opportunity to take the treasure, this treasure that we've been given, and to unfold it and to, un to reveal it in the world. So in any way, I can support you in that journey. And I know Reverend Jane and the center is standing exactly for that purpose. I acknowledge your, your extraordinary wisdom that brings you to this kind of thinking on a, on a beautiful Sunday morning. And you even had an extra hour to contemplate it this morning, yes? <laughs> And I never would have scheduled to be here on this day, so I'm so honored that you're all here. And to the first, to the first time people who are here, if you don't like me, come back and hear Jane. 
you can't go wrong, right? So listen, I, lend, I, lend, I give every talk I've ever given, I end it the same way. I want you to know wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're expecting the greatest good you've ever imagined or whether you're facing the most difficult thing you've ever faced, this I know for sure. Everything is going to work out just fine. And I'd like to think on these things as together we explore the possibilities. Namaste. Thank you. <laughs> Thank mm -hmm. you.